Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Haggy, one of your co-hosts from Midwestern Fins, joined by Taylor, our other co-host. What up? And that's all we've got for today, folks. Well, host-wise. No guests. No guests today. It's just me and Tay talking Dolphins football. Yeah, I'm here for it. So one of the things about this offseason is that we we aren't really hearing that much. Like usually we'll have uh, like a play by play breakdown by some of the beat writers and some of the fans there in the stadiums pretending to be beat writers. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Taylor? You know, uh, I think that this is a interesting time. And I feel like we want to use COVID as an excuse, and that's probably the main reason for it, obviously. However, I think that the Miami Dolphins organization is using it as a little bit more than that. Because think about how little information us as fans are getting. It's going to be similar information that other teams could possibly be receiving. And in an offseason that is obviously unprecedented, but also an offseason that's incredibly important if everything were quote-unquote normal, the Dolphins are doing something that we've never seen before in the sense that nobody else really knows what's going on. And I think that it's going to benefit the Dolphins organization moving forward because of two things. One, we don't have a preseason this year. So what's going on inside the building is on lockdown and other teams aren't going to see any of it. So come week one, there might be a really big surprise one way or the other on this Dolphins team. And two, they're keeping everything so quiet and locked down so that this Dolphins team knows exactly what they're capable of inside of this building. And it might be some kind of extra motivation moving forward going from, hey, we were 5'11 last season. We were considered to be the worst team in the league. We were told that we were going to get blown out and go 0-16 so we could draft Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And now we have him on the team, so that's got to be some extra motivation from him knowing that he was going to go to the Dolphins before his final year of college. But also, like, being rated a top 10 worst franchise in the last decade, even though we weren't the worst team last year. So a combination of those effects, I think, is probably a good thing. And I've never been to a Dolphins practice. Obviously, I'm not from Miami. And I'm sure it's really awesome to watch them play. But I don't think that I'd necessarily be mad if this is the way that we go forward, assuming that it ends up being a winning culture. That's fair. And, you know, I think uh, with your not giving a lot of teams extra information is – it's kind of a big point with that, um, not necessarily the fan-wise, but you mentioned it. We don't have a preseason, right? So other teams aren't seeing how our rookies and young players that are on the cusp are doing. So without us putting out that information, when we have to cut down the roster, like there's a better chance for us to stash some of these better players on the practice squad, and the other teams won't know any better. And... Uh, and additionally, like if we have a player that has to get injured, like or that ends up getting injured, like Curtis Weaver, um, we could stash them on, or we can we have a better chance of being able to stash them on injured reserve because that's the way that it's going with COVID. I'm not sure if uh, 
I don't, I'm not sure if that's only a COVID thing, COVID season thing that um, they have to be waived injured before you could put them on the injured reserve. But I believe that's the case. So people can't just stash the young players. Well, I think it had something to do with injury severity. And at the time of his release, I don't think that the Dolphins considered his injury to be as severe as it actually was, which is mm-hmm. why the Browns were able to put him on injured reserve because he's having seizing and season ending injury. But if Curtis Weaver was also a player that the Dolphins didn't feel like they needed, you know, because we did address the edge position in the free agency and in the offseason outside of the draft, maybe he just ended up not working out. And with this team full of young players already, it wasn't part of that movement moving forward for them. And we don't really know. I mean, it's not like we can assume that he was the second coming of Jason Taylor. And he might not have been the second coming of Deion Jordan either. He was just a a, a fifth-round pick. So um, it it, it is interesting. Well, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, we've had some some hits on our fifth-round picks. I mean... We got one of your, our favorites, Rashad Jones, you know. We got Devon Godshaw. Yeah, true. Yeah, the, uh, it, it's, it's interesting looking back at the history of Miami Dolphins' fifth-round picks. You know, we got Rashad Jones, who might be a top-ten Dolphins player of all time. We have Devon Godshaw, who's becoming a, a very, very good defensive lineman. We had Jay Ajayi, who people thought were going to be was the next Ricky Williams for a little while. I mean, he brought us some really big excitement in our 10-6 and six season. But then we also have players like, like obviously, Curtis Weaver, because he's fresh on our minds. But Isaac Asiata was, you know, hyped for being a fifth-round pick, and he never worked out either, so. True. Uh, do you know who probably the best fifth-round pick in Dolphins history is? Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas. Like, Gotta be right. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that he was a fifth round pick until I just looked it up. But <laughs> I always thought he was a third or a fourth. No, Jason Taylor was a third round pick. Zach Thomas was a fifth. I knew Jason was a third because, uh, you know, standing him for so long. But and uh, if you listen to our our friends' show Tank Talk, you'll hear a lot of Jason Taylor slander, but not here. This is a Jason Taylor friendly podcast. That's and fair. and we, well, I don't know about you, but I personally just pretend like that jet season never happened. So, I mean, that's that's ultimately what you have to do. If you do, then his uh, Dolphins career is so much greater. Oh, it's so much better. You just put all that negativity out of your mind. It's good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like back to these late round draft picks, it's just oh, yeah. it's interesting to think um, how players and fans like maybe not necessarily the players because they know, but us as fans, because of their draft position or because they were drafted by our team or by the Dolphins or whatever, people automatically start to put expectations on these late round draft picks. Like they mm-hmm. value late round draft picks so much more than an undrafted free agent. If Curtis Weaver was an undrafted free agent and he got cut, nobody would care, right? But because we use some kind of draft capital to get him, then it matters all of a sudden. But I can tell you that I personally feel 
undrafted free agents bring the same amount of value to a team as a late-round draft pick. Because once you get past third or fourth round, everybody's just going on a couple things here and there that might turn out being a really good football player, whether it be their physicality or their football intelligence or their speed. You know, people get drafted for a single attribute, whereas those first, second, and third round players all get drafted as an overall player. We've seen them succeed. We've seen them do that. So the project question mark isn't as big, unless it's Josh Allen, of course. But, you know, <laughs> I guess that's where I'm at. You know, like we, uh, Kirk Christians, for example, I believe that's his name. Christian Kirk, no. Hold on. Why can't I think of his name? Kirk um, Merritt. Kirk Merritt. Why am I? I'm sorry about that. Kirk Merritt, undrafted free agent signing. Very, very good athlete. Has potential. Could have possibly been a draft pick. But because he wasn't, we don't have as much expectations for him. Preston Williams, for example, took the team by storm last season. Undrafted free agent. Now he's slated to be a number two wide receiver that's going to have a breakout season because people put those expectations on him but not until after he started to perform. But there are some Dolphins players that get drafted that automatically get these expectations that they don't necessarily deserve. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that goes with basically, or sometimes almost every round that Dolphins, or people put these uh, expectations on them. Um, especially if we draft any sort of quarterback, we get this unrealistic expectation immediately that that guy's going to be the next Marino. And especially when it's someone that we drafted this season and who had a couple of not as great practices. And all of a sudden some dolphins, some dolphins fans immediately were like, I knew it. This guy sucks. It's like he, he hasn't, he hasn't gotten a chance to actually do anything. Like, and I, and I made a, a little bit of a hoopla about Josh Rosen being one of the best quarterbacks in the in camp this year. Whatever, I I like to ruffle feathers, um, and hopefully he does you know pretty well. But he's in his third. This is going to be his third season versus Tua, who hasn't played at any sort of game speed that the NFL is at. Like people will say, oh, he played in Alabama and he played against like these guys, like. You still realize you guys got to realize that college football is still a much slower pace, even in the better conferences. Like you're you're still like with half of the Alabama's football team, you're probably not going to be drafted. Like sure, there's some like excellent players. Like he got like three of his receivers that he played with were drafted in the first round, but like if you think about it, not not a lot of his, the rest of his team like really like was picked up by anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and then with, uh, back to the fifth round picks, like we lost Curtis Weaver. Yeah. He, uh, he was a fourth, fifth round pick D end, but we also picked up another D end from the fifth round. So, you know, Hey, one for two. <laughs> True. All right. But, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just feel like uh, these late-round picks, as long as they're doing what Brian Flores and the coaching staff wants them to do or vice versa, then we as fans honestly have to trust them 
and whatever process they go through to make sure that we have the best product on the field this year. I agree. All right. So in other Dolphins news, we've got a trade, which the 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 Jets took Kalen Balage for a yeah. seventh round pick. We got the same for Kalen Balage as we did for Charles Harris. Oh my Fantastic. gosh, that's true. Yeah. He, I feel like they brought the same amount of value to the Dolphins, which was none. So, yeah, I mean, sure. I, like, I would have been okay with a half-eaten bag of Cheetos puffs for either of them, and we got more than that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, honestly, like I felt like towards the end a little bit, Harris was doing good in run defense, but man, that guy cannot pass rush. Like, whew. Man, he, he needed a lot of work, but hopefully uh, being in Atlanta, uh, they got the uh, pass rush doctor over there, um, Mr. Chuck Smith. Um, he uh, he does a lot of good work with pass rushers, so maybe Atlanta was like, well, we'll just send him to him for, for some extra training, and maybe he'll turn into something good. But uh, wish him the best of luck, and... Uh, Kalen Lodge, on the other hand, just needs to put his head up. Wait, don't the Jets have Frank Gore now? Yeah, they have Frank Gore, Le'Veon Bell, and one other running back. So, and Kalen Balaj. Okay, so none of them I'm, are going to get any carries. No, not at all. But with another year, Frank Gore helping him out, Kalen Balaj might develop into like a semi-decent person because right now he's below Daniel Thomas in. In like uh, in talent. Oh man, yeah, yeah, okay. And because uh, I mean, Daniel Thomas didn't have like what was it, one point eight yard per carry? You know. Yes. So. Both of them I were mean, under three. Right, but not he. Daniel Thomas wasn't that low, so maybe, maybe with Frank Gore helping him more, like help him develop his vision. Because I mean, he's got he's athletic, so it's not like. He's just a scrub, you know, um, entirely. So with another year of training with Frank Gore, maybe he'll learn to put his head up and go through the right the right holes so that whenever Gase is fired, he'll uh, have a coach that will be able to use him. But let's just hope that Gase stays on the roster for a while because I really love the fact that he's wasting all these running backs. Yeah, exactly. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Like, I feel like if the Dolphins beat the Jets twice next season, and that's it, I'd still be happy. Yeah. It'd be pretty good. I mean, I'd like them to beat the Bills at least once, because then we don't have to hear about how great Josh Allen is all the whole time again. Because Bills fans are pretty run. relentless with that. He, he does destroy us every time, though. Like, he'll have the best game of season against the Dolphins. Right. You know, you know I, I did say so. I, I was recent. I was the uh, second most recent guest on Tank Talk with uh, our friend Tank, mm-hmm. and he had asked me who I thought our biggest rivals were, or who I thought was the the best rivalry upset. And I do want to say that I feel like I get more joy out of beating the Patriots than the other two. 
overall. Like, overall satisfaction beating the Patriots is, like, the closest thing that we get to winning a Super Bowl so far. So, true. I'm like, I expect to beat the Jets occasionally, or I used to, no expectations now, but it's not the same effect to me. So, maybe I'll retract that statement. I'd be okay with going three and 13 as long as those three wins came against our division rivals. True. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's not like we have to deal with like other fan bases outside those division ones as much. So it'd be good to at least have one W under our belt. But yeah, Josh Allen having like career games against us is really weird. And it's like very in, like indicated indicative of our defense. I think. Yeah. Like I'm uh I'm gonna Google the scores of the last couple of games that the Dolphins had uh against them. Um let's see here. Okay, so the Bills beat us thirty one twenty one in one game last year. And Thirty-seven to twenty in a different game. Now, I know one of those touchdown was was a uh, a part or a onside kick return against us, but still, like, so in that first game, Josh Allen threw for two hundred yards and two touchdowns against us, and ran for another thirty-two yards, and then. In the second game, he threw for 256 yards and three touchdowns and ran for 56 yards and got a touchdown on us. That's four touchdowns in one game from a quarterback who can barely hit the broadside of a barn. You know what I mean? Like, that's just really suspect to me. I will tell you that the... The Dolphins, though, ran the ball 13 times. Dolphins ran the ball 13 times against the Jets in that second game. And we had, hear this, we had less than 25 yards. Yeah. Kalen Balaj had nine carries for nine yards. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very Kalen Balaj-like. Perfect candidate for the Jets. Thank you, Adam Gase. You're a hero after all. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's why I have trouble. That's part of the reason why I have some trouble keeping the faith against the Jet or with Flores. But I'll put that on the back burner again for a little while. I just, like, we can go all the way back to even Wanstead as a coach. Like, the Dolphins win games when they establish the running game. Yep. It, I mean, when we would run the ball with Ricky, we'd win games. When we'd run the ball with Ronnie Brown, we would win games. JJ. When we would, when we had run the ball with Lamar Miller, we would win games. It just like I'm shaking my phone right now, like in disgust for some <laughs> reason, thinking that that is going to solve the problem. 
And then, like, the couple times last year where we tried to run the ball. Like, there was a game where I think Balazs had 21 carries or something ridiculous, which Kenyon Drake never got 21 carries, but Kalen Balazs gets 21 carries, and he had, like, 43 yards. Mm-hmm. God, I hope, like, you know what? Give Matt Breda the ball 15 times. Give Jordan Howard the ball 15 times. Let Jakeem run the ball on a couple end rounds. Like, run the ball 35 times. I don't give a shit. You got to establish a run game. Yes, 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 yes. I am 100% with that. So. Um, But uh, I guess I don't want to get caught up on offense talk. But I feel like we need to talk about something very important on the defense. We talked a little bit about last time on Midwestern Fins about how our cornerback situation this year and our secondary is going to be very crucial to our success. Uh, the Miami Dolphins activated Xavier Howard today. How do you feel about that, Haggy? I am very happy about that. He is a stellar corner. And it's back to having bookend corners. Probably something we haven't had. Well, actually, I was going to say it's something we probably haven't had since Sertain and Madison. But now that I'm thinking about it, like, Vontae Davis and Sean Smith were a pretty good corner duo. Yeah, I actually really liked both of them. And then they left and had better careers away from the Dolphins, which doesn't necessarily, uh, which shouldn't happen, but it makes sense. That seems like a pretty common trend. Yep. Um. And so we could probably figure out a. We could probably spend a whole three-hour episode looking at players having better careers leaving Miami, but we don't have time for that. You guys don't have time for that. Um, but let's let's. One of the things that I need to talk about, or that I really need to mention, with having a great secondary, is that you can have the best corners in the world, but if we don't get any pass rush, please sign Yannick Ngakwe. Um, it's not going to matter because you can only cover people for so long. So back off that tangent. Um, From what I heard, McCain's been looking good in camp, which hopefully that translates to the field. McCain? Like Bobby McCain? From what I heard, he's having a pretty good camp. Okay. Which, like, if, if it's like, hey, he just was a slow burner on transitioning to safety, by all means, like, throw him out there. Um, And and have it Howard, Rowe, uh, Byron Jones, and McCain. But I'm really excited because I think at some point, even though there's videos of him getting burned by Preston Williams and other uh, Dolphins receivers, um, I think Brandon Jones will eventually be the one uh, calling the shots in the back end of the field. Wow, my that... That's, totally that's, went in a weird direction from where I was starting. That's pretty high praise for Brandon Jones, though. Like, you feel that confident about a rookie that we haven't seen yet? Yeah, I, I think I think I don't think it's going to happen right away. I think it's going to be a developmental thing. But, and I mean, I, it it just the fact that I'm seeing videos of him getting burnt by like. Parker and Williams and whoever like makes me think that they're confident enough to put him against good people. So it's, so I'm hoping to see that growth. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think that's fair. 
Yeah. And maybe it was just one of those sections where the ones were playing the twos or vice versa, but who knows? Well, and I also don't think it's necessarily fair to put a natural safety one-on-one against a wide receiver. That's pretty rare. I mean, like, I can see him doing one-on-one, you know, like zone coverage, but not man-to-man bump-and-run type of thing. That's not his specialty, and I don't think that it should be for any safety. I agree. But, yeah, I guess, like, you know, what little information we've been given, um, we've seen that even Preston Williams and Devontae Parker are getting the best of Byron Jones, who is one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in the league. So I feel like it could be a cause of concern because ultimately we want the cornerbacks to win those battles. But um, even though defense wins championships, offense sells the tickets. So... If the Dolphins are going to try to promote a good product, we want to see good offensive play. So that's what they're going to promote, which makes sense. We don't actually know if there's been plays where Byron Jones has broken up a ball yet because they've been keeping everything so under wraps. Mm-hmm. I, just no, I hope agree. That, I just hope that as they move forward and like as the Dolphins move forward, as we get to see those kind of matchups, you know, win. Ultimately, we want it to be 50-50. Like, we want the offense to be able to beat the defense half the time, but we want the defense to win half the time because if we have one that's constantly beating the other, then that would be a definite rise and cause for concern. Absolutely. Um, I think... uh, I think... I definitely... Yeah, I definitely want to see more of a balance because... Like, even if, uh, like, Parker and Preston Williams put on a show, obviously that's a good sign for our offense if he's going, if they're doing it against some of the best defenders in the league. But, I mean, that, that might, uh, it definitely has the warning flag of, uh, hey, maybe this guy is actually starting to fall off, which is something yeah. that we don't want, especially when we're paying them so much money. Yeah. I guess, um, one just one more topic that I need to think about before I forget it is a couple weeks ago when we recorded our most recent episode of Midwestern Fins, we talked about how Noah from Auburn might be Xavier Howard's replacement had he be injured, correct? So these last two weeks of practice, or however long they've been practicing that Xavier's been out, Noah's been running with the ones and he's getting that experience that we are kind of expecting him to get. And if anything, these two weeks, he was probably getting jam-packed and getting stuff kind of pushed down on him pretty hard, which might be a really good learning curve for somebody that might not be seeing the field right away as far as real-time gameplay. So I think that Xavier being hurt and getting that extra time to heal is not only a blessing for him, but also the players that we want to develop behind him. Oh, absolutely. Um, I like to use the phrase... uh... Um, oh, no, that's the wrong phrase. Hold on. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, there's the phrase of steel sharpened steel. So, like, I know that whenever I was playing football at, at, as a defensive end, um, there's I was, I was always going up against a certain right tackle. And, like, there'd be days, like, we'd both be back and forth on who, who's winning the, the practice, the drills and the practices. 
And then I ended up getting injured, had to take some time off to heal up. And then when I went back to him, he had just he had still been practicing against other people. So he became <laughs> a little uh, quite a bit better than me. Um, blocking wise until I was able to kind of try and struggle and catch myself back up towards the end. So it's really a, a matter of who, uh, of like who you're up against and then the, just the coaching that goes with it. But going up against elite talents, definitely the way to get better. Yeah. I think that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we don't really know a lot going on. I know that the season's going to start in a couple weeks, hopefully. Uh, there's been like 53,000 tests done in the NFL, and not a single positive has come back yet from what I read last, but who knows what, what's on Twitter these days. Uh, <laughs> True. So, I mean, um, we haven't really heard a lot about, you know, like this player texted positive or anything, so we'll, we'll, we'll be there with that and... Like I said, it's not a political podcast, so we don't want to really get into that a whole lot. I just hope that everybody stays safe and that we can move forward as a society and a group of people and try to benefit each other's and just, just be nice to everyone. Yeah, and what I really what's really shown is that the players are really responsible people. and They really care about what's going on and, and, what, and their job enough to take all the necessary precautions that they need to, which could be something that we could all learn from. Uh, the people of us that aren't being uh, very protective of ourselves and others. But uh, also, if something does end up happening and a whole bunch of players get sick, uh, I just want to remind the NFL, if you ever end up listening, that I have a good idea as an emergency. But uh, I'm glad to see that we don't need it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess there's only one more thing that we do generally talk about on Midwestern Fins, and I've been saying it since we started it, but is it time to talk about my, my favorite portion of our podcast? I am really excited for this. So we I'd like to discredit, or uh, not discredit, uh, that's, not, that's definitely not what I meant. Um, I'd like to also put out there that's three parts that we usually talk about, but we're just going to skip the Midwestern part for today. For this awesome section. Go ahead, Taylor. All right. So uh, you guys have all known that Midwestern Fins is huge supporters of Alex's Lemonade Stand. And uh, we're going to be trying to benefit them once again. So the month of September, uh, I originally found it as the Great Cycle Challenge. But after doing some more research, I decided that uh, we can stick with doing Alex's Lemonade Stand because they are an absolute top-rated, accredited charity. Um, they are actually doing something very similar to the Great Cycle Challenge called the Million Mile. And the idea is that they want to get a group of people together across the entire world to try to walk, jog, run, or ride one million miles as a collective unit and to try to raise money for childhood cancer research. So the month of September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And... I have pledged and I've been talking about it and I've been putting it on Twitter and I've been putting it out there to all my friends and family that I pledged to ride my bike 150 miles in the month of September in hopes of raising money for childhood cancer research. And 
we're already at $480. So my original goal of $500 is basically met. So I've recently upped the goal to $1,000. I've already received some really cool donations from people. Um, Mike McCartney, Jenny got me, uh, Christina got me on Twitter. So those people have already raised some. My good friends, Caleb and Misha, got Jet and Todd. There's so many people have given me money already uh, to help get this started. And I'm just super pumped to do this. So if you guys have time, please check out my profile. Please share and follow along. Vote in my poll. Um, actually, it'll probably be done by the time this podcast is posted. Um, so far, Taylor Rides 150 is the winner. So follow along to the hashtag Taylor Rides 150. I'll be posting daily updates of how many miles I've ridden and how much money we've raised. And I'm just going to try to absolutely crush this goal so that we can give to people that actually need it. That's outstanding, Taylor. Um, I am very excited for this, for you to do this. Um, it It's really an awesome task. I urge anyone that not only to support Taylor in this, but if you feel like you're extra motivated to uh, make a difference, to also kind of do the same thing and have a whole plethora of adding people walking for the million. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys just want to check it out, just go to alex'slemonadestand.org and read about everything. It's plastered all over their page right now. They've been doing some really great things. I got personal DMs from Alex at Lemonade Stand this morning. Uh, Mina's been really, really cool to me. She's been helping us promote our tweets on Midwestern Fins and also on my page through Alex's events. So it's it's really cool that these awesome people are starting to, you know, like interact with us and help us make a difference so that we can help them. So, you know, the way that I see it is if you guys are willing to spend five to ten dollars at a gas station every night, why aren't you willing to spend two to five dollars every week on giving money to childhood cancer? And maybe this is a little bit too far, but if everybody's willing to exert so much time arguing on Twitter on who's a better fan base. I wish the same people would put that amount, a much amount of energy into helping childhood cancer research. That's what I could ask for. And people have been very supportive of me. GTH, you are a, a man of few words, but I love what you've done for me. You've been gaining me father followers and helping me out. So if you guys don't follow GTH on Twitter, hit him up. He even changed his Twitter handle to Taylor Rides 150 Gang Gang. So I'm pretty oh, excited. Yes. I did not see that. Oh, yeah, he did. Heck yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, Definitely, just just be kind to each other. And if you guys have time to help me out, even a like and a retweet is more than what I could possibly ask for. And if you guys got some extra money laying around or if you guys are willing to help me out, sponsor me, give me a straight donation. I've been very clear and open on what I'm going to do. Um, I have Cash App, Venmo. You can donate straight to Alex's Lemonade Stand through my page. There's a uh, there's a lot of different ways, and I'm really excited. I really am. And just to make it seem that I'm not doing this all just for me either, I've already donated fifty dollars of my own money to this cause too. So like I'm in it with you guys. I promise. Absolutely, I. I... I, well, I'm saying absolutely because I know you got your heart in the right place. 
Um, I'm very excited to watch this journey. Um, I'll be contributing as well at some point. You'll see. Big surprise. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad that you're doing this, Taylor. It's a great cause, and I'm glad that you're taking the initiative and doing something bigger than yourself. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Is there anything else you got for this episode? No, I just, uh, you know, thank you guys for listening. It's Midwestern Fins. Follow us on Twitter at Midwestern Fins. You can follow me on Twitter at Ballard78. And just be nice to each other and fins up. Let's go. That's right. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Or day. Or you know what I mean. (laughs) Peace out.